0: Welcome to State of Well-Being, a podcast from South Dakota State University. The State of Well-Being is a holistic well-being podcast with the goal of supporting the campus community as we strive to be a growing, high-performing, and healthy university. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us in this uh, episode of the State of Well-Being podcast. Uh, my name is Jeremy Daniel. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice with Satco State University within the College of Pharmacy and Allied Health Professions, and I'm joined today by one of our counselors from the Milawana Center, Ashley Day. Ashley, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yes, thank you, Jeremy.
0: Perfect. And before we get started on today's podcast, I just wanted to give a quick content warning. Um, so we will be talking about suicide um, and suicide warning signs later in this podcast. So if that is something that's fairly challenging to you as a topic, Feel free to skip through that part or maybe even potentially just skip this entire episode um, of the podcast. Just don't want to cause any undue harm. So, Ashley, as we go ahead and get started, um, let's focus on depression first. As again, our, our focus today is really depression and suicide warning signs. So depression is a pretty complex topic. What, what, in your opinion, is depression?
1: Yes. So I tried to come up with a more less complex topic. Mm-hmm. Um, definition of depression. So it is a common but very serious mood disorder that negatively affects how you feel, think, and act in your everyday life. So some symptoms that happen with depression is persistent sadness, um, an empty mood, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of guilt, um, loss of interest or pleasure in everyday life or hobbies that you enjoy, Uh, decreased energy, fatigue, um, difficulty concentrating, maybe remembering or making decisions, um, difficulty sleeping, and changes in appetite as
0: well. You know, and, and part of my work is as being you know, a professor within pharmacy practice. I'm also a psychiatric clinical pharmacist at Avera Behavioral Health, done in Sioux Falls. And a couple of the things that we really look at um, would be that that lack of uh, interest in things you used to enjoy and their persistent low mood, right? That yeah. occurs for quite a long time, even even two weeks, um, to kind of get that diagnosis. But. One of the things I also want to focus on because, you know, we all have bad days, right? We get an exam score back, we get a a poor review, right? And so we sometimes feel down. So maybe a different question would be what isn't depression, right? How do we differentiate between that feeling down from what true depression is?
1: Yeah. And I like how you brought that up. To get a diagnosis, uh, you know, it takes two weeks. So I would say, you know, you know, when you do have a bad score as a student, you kind of have that feeling of sadness for a few days, and then you kind of go back on your feet. But with depression, it is persistent. It is staying, and if it stays for at least two weeks, that is credible for a diagnosis. So I would say, in a simpler version, that is how it is different.
0: Right, and I think we also really look at its ability to impact your overall function right? Um, yes. And so when we look at true depression, that's not only making you feel sad when you feel, you know, we talk talking, think about school, it's also impacting your social life, right? Mm-hmm. It's impacting your relationship with your family. It's it's really impacting everything with your life, right? Uh, if you're just kind of feeling down, that may be in certain parts, but it's not, it's not over your whole area function, mm-hmm. right? Are there people that are more at risk for depression?
1: Yes. So some r- risk factors include, um, you know, if there is, a past suicide in family history, if there is past mental illnesses in family history, um, If, say, a student has gone through a traumatic life event, they can be more um, be risk. more likely or at risk to. Um, develop depression symptoms.
0: Sure. And, you know, I think it's also important, we talk about these risk factors, right? But depression mm-hmm. hits everybody, mm-hmm. impacts everyone, right? And, um, you know, when we talk about just overall risk for depression, one of the statistics that I hear all the time is one in four, right? Mm-hmm. That we think about one in four people is going to be touched by depression at some point in their life. Um, and so even if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't have anybody that I know that's been depressed, well, maybe they just haven't told you, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, you could also be that one in four. It just hasn't happened yet, right? so treatment right how do we how do we manage depression how do you manage depression um, you know with the students that you see yes
1: yeah, so a most common form of therapy is cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy um, and that is a form of therapy that focuses more on the problem solving in the present what is happening now rather than in the past or what they expect in the future sure um, it also helps um, students recognize maybe some distorted or negative thinking with possible goals that they have in mind or behaviors um, to, re- to respond in a more positive manner. Um, they, you know, might have more of a negative mindset. Um, something I say with students often is like you are in this black hole and you just can't get back up. You're just climbing and climbing and you just can't get back up where I try to implement more positive thinking, like, name three good things that happened today, or at least one if they can't do three, or um, just reframing the thought, like, yes, today was hard, but that doesn't mean tomorrow Will be just as worse, something like that.
0: Right. I think that whole analogy is actually a good one. Right. When when you're in a hole, all you can see is that hole, uh-huh. right? And so it's really important to have that external view or that external help that can see from outside the hole and maybe help you up, right? right. So there there's sometimes this desire to you know pull ourselves up by our bootstraps uh-huh. or like just deal with it and get through it, but Depending on how deep the hole is, sometimes you can't get out without help, right?
1: Right, right. And sometimes that takes quite a bit of time. I think sometimes students want that flip of the switch fix, exactly. and that's not always going to happen.
0: That's very true, right? I mean, therapy certainly takes, takes a long time to help, but, you know, really only a part of managing depression.
1: Yes. So... With that in therapy, I want to ask you, Jeremy. You know there are many medications used to treat depre- depression as well, antidepressants. What's most common?
0: Yeah, I think antidepressants that you bring up certainly are most common, right? And we think of maybe some common ones that people have heard of, such as Prozac or Zoloft or Lexapro, Effexor. Those types of names might might ring a bell with some. But you know, as as you mentioned, therapy takes a long time, so do the medications. Mm-hmm. One of the counseling points that I give to my patients all the time is that. It's gonna take four to six weeks for this medication to really have its full effect. Now, some people may notice that they feel better earlier because sleep gets a little bit better, energy starts to come back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a very important warning that we see with antidepressants as well. It's what we call a black box warning, and what the Mm -hmm. Food and Drug Administration or FDA has deemed to be their highest level of warning. And they note that there is a risk of some increase in suicidal thinking with antidepressants, especially in people 24 years of age and younger, which is a majority of the students that are listening to this right Right. and so what we always counsel is you know the the antidepressants supposed to help with those but sometimes with that energy that comes back or that concentration and, and you know mental acuity that can come back with our antidepressants a little bit early sometimes that just dusts off some of those thoughts um, of suicide or thoughts that we'd be better off not here. Um, and so if those thoughts certainly happen, we want to make sure that you reach out to us right away. Mm-hmm. we to reach out to your primary prescriber of that medication, reach out to your therapist, um, sometimes even reaching out to some of the resources that we'll talk about at the end, but that would include like 211 or 988, but we'll go into those a little bit more in the future, right? But, um, you know, you mentioned medications. I mentioned therapy. It's <laughs> it, They work better together, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I think that, you know, when we look at some of the data data behind that. Antidepressants work pretty well. Therapy works pretty well. But when you combine those together, they work even better than just one on its own. Yes. Best of both worlds. So much better. So I did mention, you know, this warning sign for suicidality that we see on Mm -hmm. our medications. Um, You know, suicidality can certainly impact anybody with depression. Um, It's not always the end goal. Some people are depressed and never have symptoms of suicide Mm -hmm. and their feelings of suicide. Um, What does that look like? What are the early warning signs, some of those early risk factors that we see with suicide?
1: Yeah. So I would say some of the early warning signs would be possibly talking about wanting to die, just maybe some passive thoughts of, you know, life would be better if I wasn't here. Mm. Um, Maybe talking about some shame or guilt that they're feeling possibly about different situations that's going on in their lives. Um, possibly talking about being a burden to others, Um, maybe not feeling comfortable talking about what they're going through, maybe with friends and family, Um, feeling empty, trapped, having no reason to live. So maybe just not finding those Positive things that I was talking about earlier—you know, what's going good right now? Nothing. They can't find anything. That's when you kind of have to take a step back and be like, okay, something more serious here is going on.
0: Right. They're, they're too deep down in that hole. Right? Exactly. That they can't see. Yes. They can't see the out. Um, you know, I think that you mentioned a couple a couple interesting warning signs, right, where people talk about like being better off dead, or, or talk about you know not really being worth being around, right. Mm-hmm sometimes people joke about that, right? Yes. Um, and so that makes it a little hard sometimes to tease apart when, when someone's joking, which, I mean, may not be the best joke, but when someone's joking about that versus when they truly have those feelings.
1: Right, yes. I think it's hard because I think some people just have a dark sense of humor. Exactly. And personally for me, I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what's what's going on here? Like, for real? Um, and, Sometimes people say, oh, I'm just joking around or it gets into a more intense conversation.
0: Right. And I think even, you know, as we have our listeners, students, faculty, staff listening to this, I mean, I, I still would rather err on the side that it's not a joke. And mm-hmm. even if someone just says, you know, I'm, I'm just joking, I'm just kidding, I still might want to ask some more questions. Right. And, mm-hmm. and probe into that a little bit deeper because it's possible that it's not actually a joke. Right. And instead, when someone's like, oh, someone was actually listening to me, hold on. Um, They get really uncomfortable. Right. Uh Because, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on stigma. Trust me. It's it's one of my (laughs) one of my soapbox topics when I teach. Um, But I I think that we all have that internal stigma sometimes, too. Of Like what? You know, I shouldn't be depressed. I should be happy. Uh I have all this going for me. I'm able to go to college. I'm in classes. I, I have friends. Why am I not happy? Right. Um, and so we all have this internal stigma that there, there shouldn't be something wrong with us. And um, so that sometimes gets a little bit real when we focus on those jokes. Right. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And even I think sometimes the word suicide just really scares people mm-hmm. too. You know, it's just kind of like the red alert, like, whoa, what is going on? Where I think we can talk about those things. Like, if I am assessing a student, I will not sugarcoat if are you having suicidal thoughts? Do you have a plan? Because you really do have to get to the core of it and not, again, sugarcoat it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that, that head on question is extremely important and something that, you know, I actually have my students practice asking that question, given that pharmacists are fairly accessible healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Right. They should mm-hmm. all be able to ask that. But there, there's this misnomer sometimes that if you're asking someone, do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Do you have thoughts of suicide? Do you have thoughts that you'd be better off dead? That's going to put the idea in their head. Right. And that's simply not true. Right. Um, nobody. Nobody is just sitting there going, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, There's still that thought. Right. And so we want to make sure that we are asking that question directly um, and, and some feedback we have towards the end of our podcast. Right. So those are some early warning signs. What are our what are those huge red flags? Right. What are those emergent like late red flag warning signs? Something has to be done now.
1: Yeah. So when it is. Serious, I would say, you know, for example, if a student is starting to um, get rid of personal possessions, maybe some clothing, things that are important to them, they just start getting rid of them for some reason. Um, Researching ways to die as well. Um, Maybe withdrawing from friends. um, Writing goodbye letters. uh, Even making a will, um, making a will. Um, There are other things like taking dangerous risks, like driving too fast, maybe especially, you know, in this January, oh, no, excuse me, February weather. (laughs) (laughs) You know, icy roads, maybe they're driving extra fast to feel something, even though that is extremely dangerous, Um, or even using... Drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism, sure. and increasingly using it, maybe even every day.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, that you know, drugs and alcohol certainly cloud our ability to think appropriately, right? And mm-hmm. even as we're trying to find those you know, those reasons for living or identify those positive uh, signs sometimes the substances we use don't really help us with that mm-hmm. right um, and then it makes it harder uh, to come up with those pieces right so if we do have someone um, that's suicidal or in your work and in counseling someone does you know, express some some significant suicide risk how do we manage that patient how do we treat them?
1: Yeah so my first step is always hearing their story um, it may sound so sim- simple but it is important just to listen to somebody, whether you are their family member or their friend um, or a professor, just hearing out what they have to say, giving them a safe space, and then kind of working with managing, okay, what can we do now? So as a counselor, I make a safety plan with them. Um, and that includes you know listing some coping skills that they can do when they're feeling overwhelmed, listing some distractions, you know, maybe going on a walk outside or watching their favorite TV show, um, listing some people who they can call if they are in distress. And then um, at the end, we have numbers that they can call if it continually gets worse. So I have the counseling center clinic number on there, 988, um, and their primary physician number as well. Um, So we kind of go from there, and if they accept the plan, we kind of check in the next day or um, later that week. If they do not accept this plan or they cannot commit to safety, that is when we take extra measures to hospitalize them um, just to ensure they are safe.
0: Right, and certainly not a punishment to be hospitalized, exactly. right? that's yeah. That's more just a, it's a safety piece, right? right. Um, you know, the folks at a very Behavioral Health, where I work, uh, take, you know, great steps to make sure that somebody is safe and make sure that it is a very supportive environment to mm-hmm. feel better. So, well, again, there's sometimes this stigma against hospitalization. I mean, again, I'm biased because I work there, right. uh, but I would also be happy uh, being admitted there, right, just because uh, the staff really cares, the, the providers really care, um, and it's it's definitely a, a, a safe space to, to get better, right? and work through some of those challenges that, again, kind of help pull you out of that hole.
1: Right. Yeah. And especially if they are not able to um, ensure their safety by getting rid of means such as a knife or a gun, that is another great step of hospitalization. They are not near it. They are in a safe, comfortable room with caring people.
0: Exactly. Now, you know, naturally, you're, you're a mental health expert, right? That, that's what you do. Uh, I, I also work in that arena. But, you know, people listening here, our students, our staff, our faculty, we don't expect them to be mental health experts, right? right? That, that's not an expectation. Um, but, you know, it is still possible for literally anyone to help. Right? And so maybe I'll divide into two buckets. Maybe we'll talk about what students can do to help other students Mm -hmm. um, or their friends. Uh, Then maybe we can also talk about um, some of the extra steps that staff or faculty could potentially take. So starting on that first piece, like if if you're a student and someone comes up to you, your friend um, kind of confesses that they've had thoughts of not being around anymore, right? What do you recommend? What what steps can any student take to help uh, provide that support?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say start off with, again, just being in that safe space. Maybe you just listen to their story. Maybe you just sit with them in silence. That may sound awkward or uncomfortable, but that can also be very uh, healing in a way to know that someone is there for you, even if, again, feels awkward. Um, Maybe finding some distractions as well. Like, okay, let's go on a walk. Let's go to the union. Let's grab a bite to eat. Um... If that does not work, then walking them to the counseling center if it is during the day. Maybe you stay as that friend in the waiting room for them when they're done. Um, Just being that presence is so huge. Um,
0: Yeah, I can't tell you the number of of patients at at behavioral health that have even just said to my pharmacy students or me as a pharmacist or our nurses that – you're the first person that's listened mm-hmm. right and that's that's made me feel a lot better just just having someone listen to me and hear my story because i'm in this dark space of nobody cares um, and it's very clear that somebody does, and so that's the first step to that healing. So, I think you give you know great advice to to students of just being that supportive piece, right? But also recognizing that it's it's not a hundred percent your burden to share exactly. Right? And so during the day, I mean, you are supportive. You you kind of question. We'd look at this maybe QPR as as an acronym mm-hmm. that I use. That question, persuade, refer. And there's certainly training um, coming uh, to the university on that in the future. So we'll be sure to to post that on our website. But um, you know with the question piece asking them some of those really hard questions of do you have thoughts of killing yourself do you have thoughts of you'd be better off not here um, persuading them to seek help and then actually helping them mm-hmm. get that help with the refer and so taking that walk but maybe that leads to the counseling center right if it is after counseling centers close we, you mentioned a couple numbers already that we talk about 988 right. uh, which is our national suicide hotline um, within South Dakota we talk about 211 which is the helpline um, and actually that that help us with anything if you even one of the hours of when the university bookstores downtown is open. They can help you with that. Right. In addition to also helping you connect with rides or food or even mental health services. Right. right? Um, and so making sure that there is uh, that, that referral piece at the end to help close, but making sure people know that it, it's not 100 percent their burden. Right. There are lots of resources. And um, even just knowing 2-1-1 uh, can certainly get a person to the spot they need to go.
1: Right. I like that term of either soft or hard handoff of really mm-hmm. just getting that person to the proper next steps to assure that their safety and their mental health is getting taken care of.
0: Exactly. I think, you know, there, there's always this survivor's guilt piece, too, mm-hmm. right, um, where we always look back with, you know, perfect vision of here are all the warning signs that I missed, right, mm-hmm. um, which makes it really hard for those uh, that, that are, you know, still around. But, you um, it definitely helps alleviate that grief and that guilt if, if you did something, right, to help that person. And and it is just even walking in the counseling center or two one one is extremely important. So and that's steps anybody can take, right? Yes. Are there are there more steps that maybe staff or faculty have access to uh, that can help if they have a student express this or even a coworker express this?
1: Yes. So there is something called the red folder, which is on S D State and brings the bring staff to Inside State. It is a form where you fill out information about the student of concern, um, and that gets sent to the counseling services, and any counselor will then take the next step to reach out to the student, uh, remind them of our screening hours, and hopefully get a plan set up for that student. Um, Another way that they can do is, again, just being that listening person. Um, you know during an office hour, hey why don't we just talk for a little bit see what we can do. Can you, asking the student can you call anybody, um, what can you do tonight that would you know, make you feel better going to the gym, grabbing a bite to eat at the union, um, going to a club or organization
0: Exactly. And I think that red folder is a fantastic example that we have. And as you mentioned, it's on SD State, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's no hidden, you know, login no. piece that you have. <laughs> Just really anybody can see our red folder, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, one of the first pieces in that red folder assesses risk. Yes. Right, um, and you talk about the referral form that would be for a student that, of course, is of concern. But if, if you have someone in your office that is expressing suicidal ideation or those thoughts that they'd be better off dead, it is an immediate call to campus police or 911 or 988 or one of these other numbers uh, that we've kind of mentioned. So it is this immediate, someone hands on, 24/7 uh, to kind of help alleviate that burden and carry that through. Right. Um, so yeah, Red Folder is fantastic. Any other resources that we can potentially have?
1: Um, after hours there is the counselor on call Um, so any of the counselors could be on call after hours Um, and the Counseling Center has implemented a new step to our on-call phone Um, so when a student is in distress call UPD UPD um, actually contacts Avel E-Care, which is a online um, crisis prevention. Uh, they are nurses who are trained in crisis care. Um, and students can talk to this nurse either on an iPad that UPD provides or they can actually talk to them on their phone. Um, it's basically like a FaceTime with a counselor. Um, and if a student denies that or maybe just does not feel comfortable with that, then counselors are on call. They do get the call and we intervene on how we can help the student further. Either we meet them at UPD, like um, an office in there, or just talk on the phone and just kind of de-escalate what is going on. Sure, so lots of resources, right?
0: Yeah. As as I mentioned earlier, we want to make sure that Nobody feels like, in addition to you know being an expert in electrical engineering, will say they also now have to be an expert in mental health. Right. right? Um, but knowing that that first tool of the red folder for faculty or staff actually lays all that out, mm-hmm. right, and gives all those steps, um, and even this the message that we've had all the way through this of, of being that supportive piece, whether you're a student, faculty, staff, coworker, family member, anybody, uh, just being that supportive listening step and then helping them get to those resources um, is going to be extremely helpful. Right. Now I know you mentioned student organizations as well. There, there's one that you're pretty involved in um, here on campus.
1: Yes, it is Lost and Found. So um, it is a suicide <coughs> prevention group organization that also has a peer-to-peer mentorship and I am the advisor for that group. Um, it is a great group that helps students find social connections on campus. Sure. For example, say a freshman, is just coming to SDSU and has having a hard time accommodating to college. Um, a mentor from Lost and Found, who is actually QPR trained, sure. um, will meet with the student. Either they go get coffee, um, go to the nature park, whatever they're both comfortable with. This mentor is really just a person who they can talk to. Um, whether it's about school or whether it's about life Um, they're trained to be helpers but they are not counselors which we try to help them with that as well like there is a step where it's no longer within their reins, and Mm -hmm. then that's when someone like myself, a counselor, comes in and helps.
0: Exactly. So if, if you know students or faculty or staff really have um, a desire to help get connected with Lost and Found, um, what steps can they take uh, to uh, get some more information about that organization?
1: Yes. Uh, so there is a Lost and Found website, and also if they were to just search it on SD State, it would pop okay. up. Um, and there is a tab with programs and The peer to peer mentorship should be under that. Um, And then, if somebody were to become a mentor or a mentee, they uh, go through an application. Uh, The application is very similar to when a freshman is signing up to get a roommate. Oh, sure. Just so the mentor and the mentee can mesh well together. You know, as a freshman starting off, and you're getting a mentor who maybe you've not necessarily click with. That's not really the goal. We want somebody who can, who you can vibe with.
0: Well, I think that happens all the time, even with therapists, right? Yes, as, as you exactly. May, you, you may go to your first one and not vibe well. And you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta change it find somebody else. Yes, right? yes. Excellent. Well, Ashley, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today as we, as we talk about depression and suicide warning signs, as we just maybe recap some of the things that we talked about. You know, we talked about some of the, you know, signs and symptoms of depression that we look at those two key symptoms of a person feeling down um, or depressed. We talk about a loss of interest in things they used to enjoy for a two-week time most days. Um, that's different from, you know, just feeling down where true depression impacts every part of your life, mm-hmm. right, in every single facet, whereas feeling down may just be focused on that one small thing like, you know, having a poor review or or not doing as well on a test. We talked about that, you know, though there are risk factors for depression, really anybody um, is at risk for depression because we have that one in four statistic we talk about in mental health that one in four people are going to be impacted this in their lifetime. Therapy really helps to treat depression. So do medications, but those both take a little while to work. But they work really well when you mix them together. We also talked about suicide quite a bit as well, and some of those early warning signs of people maybe even passing them off as jokes. But talking about how you know they'd be better off if they weren't around, or be better off if they were dead. But we look at those red flag warning signs of starting to give possessions away, not having long range planning, right, engaging in some risky behaviors, um, as truly being those last cries for help, right, before a, an unfortunately permanent solution. Um, is taken for a normally temporary situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, lots of resources that faculty and staff have in that red folder, but really everyone, students, faculty, and staff, we really just encourage to be that listening voice, right? As we talk about mm-hmm. some of our QPR principles where we'll just start asking some questions and facing that direct question with, do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Though that's really hard, um, I will say at least from a practitioner, it gets easier to ask every time you ask yes, it. Yes, right? I so agree. So the more you, the more you <laughs> practice, it gets a lot easier. But um, you know, making sure that you question and be that supportive uh, you know, uh, presence with them, just even listening, um, mm-hmm. sitting in silence with them is extremely helpful. But then making sure that we connect them with some of our resources, like the counseling center, be that during the day or the on-call counselor. UPD is certainly trained in this here at SDSU. Mm-hmm. We talk about 988 as our national suicide um, hotline. We also talk about 211 right as being a national helpline to help get people in contact with mental health resources, in addition to um, you know some of the the suicide resources that they have. So um, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us and. Thank thank all of you uh, for listening to this episode of the State of Well-Being. If you haven't already, I would also encourage you to listen to my interview with Julia from the Counseling Center and our Anxiety Podcast, since these do co-occur so often. Um, there are some great resources in that podcast as well. So um, until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of State of Well-Being, a podcast from South Dakota State University. This podcast is brought to you by the Mental Well-Being Team and SD State Health.